Hello and welcome to the Performing Animal Rights podcast series. My name is Ben Hunt. I am a performance artist and researcher doing a PhD at De Montfort University in the United Kingdom, Leicester. And I've got a great episode coming up with Simon Pizalos Hayes, who works with Peter UK as the campaigns and outreach manager. And it's a really great insight in how a successful organisation works, especially when implementing performance and creative practice into their campaigns. I found it really interesting, especially how intrinsic performance is in strategy with Peter UK. Peter standing for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, of course. So if you like this episode, please do like, subscribe, review, share with fellow friends and colleagues if you think they'll also find it valuable. I'd really appreciate it. All that's left to say is on with the episode. Thank you, Simon, for joining me. Can you just give us a sense of your role in, in Peter UK? Absolutely. So my name is Simon Plazolis Hayes. I am the Youth Outreach and Campaigns Officer at Peter UK. Uh, my role exists primarily in the campaigns department. Uh, what that means is I was responsible for establishing and running our university campus representative outreach program, where we worked with the young leaders of the animal rights movement to encourage them to host um, outreach events on campus in order to reach students and staff with a vegan and animal rights message. Within the campaign side, I'm responsible for strategizing our, camp- our mainline campaigns, uh, coming up with new ideas for demonstrations and ways of pushing this message to the public and getting up the public's attention in order to ultimately culminate in action. Do you have a, a team behind you or what does that look like, the structure of PTUK? Absolutely. So PDUK is an entity of uh, PETA worldwide. Uh, We have affiliates all over the world. The first PETA was established in 1980 in the United States. Uh, PDUK still operates along the same mission and along the same lines, albeit a separate entity. So within our organization as a whole, we do have a campaigns department, which I am a member of, along with other campaigners. Uh, as well as a marketing department, fundraising team, and uh, press and celebrity departments as well. So PETA overall, regardless of the of the entity that we're discussing, for the most part tends to use a, a multiple stringed approach at ensuring the maximum outreach possible of our campaign missions and of course our, our, our mission values of ending the exploitation of animals, regardless of in what capacity. Interesting stuff. So it'll be really good to pick your brains on campaigns then. So how does Peter and Peter UK use performance in the campaigns you do? Absolutely. So it's it's a very key aspect of our demonstrations of the campaigns team. I think, you know, not only will you need the resilience of uh, to in order to do this position, but you absolutely need a, a large amount of creativity and ability to come up with with tremendous visuals. The visuals themselves uh, could be be different in the sense of sometimes we really want to bring the harsh reality of what is happening to animals to the public. Other times it can be a little bit more silly or something that might be controversial as well. The main purpose of this 
is we are trying to start a conversation. We're trying to draw awareness to uh, the topic that we are discussing. And again, ultimately, we're trying to encourage action, not only on the part of those who are seeing or interacting with the demonstration, either physically on the day of or later on through, uh, through the press, um, but more than that is that we're trying to see that campaign be won. In the 40 years that PETA has been around, we've seen massive victories for animals. If we're looking at the UK, we have some of the most recent ones being Fortnum and Mason banning foie gras, Canada goose ditching fur, and the Wild Animals and Circuses Act passing in England and Wales, removing uh, wild animals from being forced to perform in circuses. Of course, we were able to bring this message and content to people in various separate ways, but within that, that performance and that way of grabbing the audience and really society's uh, attention is incredibly important. Yeah, definitely. I, rem- I remember seeing that um, the foie gras, uh, Ingrid Newkirk, the Peter founder, being force-fed, which was really striking as a performance, a very sim- simple performance, but it was striking. So when we're thinking of that, when you're thinking of the campaigns, and I'm assuming you work quite closely with the marketing team and the press team and what have you, is there a sense of you're coming together and you're thinking, okay, we can put performance here and then we'll do some outreach here and then we'll do some lobbying here? Is there, is it, can you talk me through like the, the myriad of aspects you use in campaigns and where does performance fit in there if it's just part of an add-on or is it part of a a more intrinsic thinking within strategy? It's certainly an intrinsic thinking within strategy. Um, Within that, we we collaborate very often. Um, If we look at demonstrations that the campaigns department is planning, we're working alongside the marketing team working alongside the press team to ensure that after the campaign or even, you know, even during the campaign that we can film content for social media to put that out as quickly as possible to gain uh, our readers' attention as well as those who might be interacting with the content online. And then afterwards, being able to then pitch that to press ensures that long after the demonstration has finished, uh, that more people have the opportunity to interact with that. Now, regardless of, of whatever the cause is, there's always a massive amount of noise um, that, that occurs, so many messages that are out there. So that's why performance is such an integral part of this, is that it's trying to capture the audience's attention and ensure that even if they have a very brief interaction with the demonstration itself, they have a good, strong understanding of what is occurring. With that, you can you can approach it from multiple separate ways. Uh, but again, having a, a strong creative approach ensures that the message can get picked up later on uh, by more press outlets and ensure that it's maintaining pressure on the campaign and on the target to, again, ultimately uh, take up our campaign ask and change policies to uh, end the, whatever exploitation of animals they're, they're, they're doing. The idea of distilling the message into a message to be taken away by using performance creativity, that's uh, fascinating. When you mentioned, uh, and it'll be good to pick your brains a bit more about the process of that a bit later, is you mentioned tone a bit earlier with sometimes it's lighthearted, sometimes it's 
a bit more heavy. Is there certain thinking behind that where on a campaign you think, well, we can, the campaign is, because it's all serious, it's all sad and awful. Um, so you look at a campaign that's about animal suffering and you think, well, we can use lighthearted things here and a bit more serious stuff here. Is it trying to find a balance or is it actually looking at the certain topic and going, well, humour would work best as part of this campaign a bit more than something a bit more serious or vice versa? Absolutely. And it's an, it's an excellent question. Ultimately, it comes down to a case by case basis. There are some very harsh truths out there, as I'm sure you're aware on what happens to animals on a daily basis worldwide. Some things like you had already mentioned, Ingrid Newkirk in regards to uh, setting up a demonstration for foie gras. It's incredibly difficult and more than that, probably irreverent to try to show foie gras in, in anything that it would be construed as, as comical. It's, it's one of the harshest and cruelest aspects that exists where farmers take metal tubes and shove them down the throat of geese and pump them so full of corn that their livers get infected and grow to a massive, massive unnatural size. It's so cruel that recently the city of Strasbourg, where the EU parliament is based and was once called the home of foie gras, has, the council has taken a policy of never serving this, this incredibly cruel dish ever again. So oftentimes it does come down to that. What is the subject matter? Is it is it overly violent, in which case it's important to show it like that? When we did demonstrations outside of Canada Goose, nothing being sold inside was anything worth laughing about. So we did use uh, steel jaw traps, both real ones and prop ones, and drenched it in blood of uh, representing the blood that coyotes would be spilling when they were caught in those traps. Thankfully, as a result of PETA's continued pressure worldwide, Canada Goose has since dropped uh, the use of coyote fur in their clothing line. Uh, and other things, uh, you know, just looking at it from a campaign's perspective, that it's very difficult to approach it in anything less than a very serious tone. However, within veganism as a whole, you do have a lot more opportunities to, to be a little fun with it. When we try to encourage people to take up veganism in the past, some really successful ones that the crowds have loved were things like our lettuce ladies. So they wore bikinis made from lettuce and you know, distributed free vegan food samples. And this was just a fun and engaging way of, of showing the audience that you know, veganism, it can be just as absolutely fun. Uh, and the food is wonderful and just kind of have a lighthearted approach to that. Uh, we've also done other things like putting out uh, bathtubs uh, with activists inside, reminding people that, you know, it, it, it takes massive amounts of water to have, you know, a single steak. So we do have that opportunity to have a little bit of a lighthearted tone, a little bit of fun with it, trying to get people excited and, and show them that veganism as a whole can be a, a much, is not can be, but truly is a much better option than any alternative. But then in other demonstrations where we're discussing massive amounts of exploitation, intense amounts of cruelty, we do try to bring a much um, somber tone and a much more uh, visual, a stronger visual to help exemplify the violence that's inherent to, um, to this exploitation. Yeah, that's interesting. I think the people who have uh, activists I've talked to around that, it definitely seems to be a case, a pattern where 
when it's about the non-human animal, it's serious. But then around the movement of the vegan movement, there are things to celebrate, like you said, food and um, a bit more of a, a lifestyle thing about climate change, which is really interesting because obviously animal rights is animal rights, but there's so many more issues attached to it. And there's things, there's avenues to enter um, in other creative ways, which is really, really interesting and exciting to hear from your perspective. Is is there any, it'd be interesting to hear if, if there's been a process in in PDUK's campaigns from other certain things now you wouldn't do as a as an organization for performative demonstration or the things you do more of now because you've seen traction i know there's there's debates at the moment around using um human bodies and how we should use our human bodies in demonstrations and has there been any movement there or is there a certain strategy that the organization follows so similarly to uh, the previous question, when we discuss um, the, what the visual is going to be, it, it ultimately comes down to a case-by-case basis. Throughout the years, being around for 40 years and achieving so much that PETA has achieved worldwide, uh, there are often times where we will retire campaigns or move past it. Most recently, PETA retired the I'd Rather Go Naked Than Wear Fur campaign, specifically because so many companies are already abandoning fur and we're seeing more and more people uh, show a distaste for fur. Uh, the queen herself has gone fur free. 94% of the British public is opposed to wearing fur and fur farming has been banned for 21 years as of this, this past Tuesday. So it is with, within that as a concept, there are things that we will move past, but ultimately when it comes down to a visual, it, it will always just be a case-by-case basis uh, to figure out what will be the most appropriate and most effective way of pushing this message across. When just talking about your visual and going back to the creative process, when you're, you've created a campaign and there is planning to do and how we can implement performance or creative ways to engage with uh, the public, is it a sense of thinking of the visual first? So for example, the founder of Peter being force-fed food and then adding to that layer upon layer on whether there's extra theatricals going around or there's a stall there does it start with the image and then grow from there or is there other ways you approach a performative demonstration ultimately what we want to do is ensure that the message is going to come across what we what we don't want to do is we do not want to overload it with too many things going on a simple visual in and of itself can be gripping uh, we, we keep visiting the Ingrid Newkirk um, uh, foie gras demo, and we can look at some other ones that just really captured people's attention, whether it is things like the PDUS once had activists, as well as PDUK did this in Trafalgar Square, where we strung them upside down and then made it look like they were humans being butchered in a slaughterhouse. So with that, anyone who would be able to take a picture or see that could instantly recognize what's going on there. We didn't need, you know, an extra addition of, of say, lettuce ladies or something to try to, to mash things in there. Ultimately, it's a way of how can we reach people on the day? How can we reach people through photos and videos that can be shared on social media, which the Internet has had a massive effect on ensuring that the animal rights message can be shared worldwide? as well as what can work well for press. 
Uh, press is a, a huge part of PETA campaigns. We are a, a sort of a media darling in that effect. Uh, so many of us are trained spokespersons, just like myself, uh, where we have the opportunity to be invited on some of the, the largest media and news sources out there. Again, to, to bring awareness to these, to these campaigns and to these demonstrations. And that, that's ultimately what we are trying to do is by remaining persistent, by using our campaigns as, as not only a, a way of drawing attention to the audience there, as well as drawing attention to uh, people who are following us or might interact with our social media pages, but it's also about ensuring that uh, we can have that press attention because it will always reach more people that way and continue the conversation and man maintain pressure on whichever target we are running our campaign against and keep the conversation going. That's one of the, the most important parts of the campaign's perspective is ensuring that we are maintaining that pressure and keeping the conversation going. Is there an intent there? Because it's street performance and you have you have to capture your audience. You don't just have a captured audience. You've got to cap capture their attention. Is there an intention there of causing emotion beyond the usual intrigue? So causing shock, outrage, disgust, rather than just curiosity. Is there an intent there when you think of your demonstrations? The animal agriculture industry is responsible for over 65 billion animals being slaughtered. You know, if we look at it on a case-by-case -case basis all over the world, regardless of the country, animals are suffering in intense and horrific conditions. Whether this is calves being taken away from their mother cows within 24 hours to 48 hours of being born, uh, to pigs having their um, testicles removed with scalpels without the use of anesthetic or having their teeth pulled out by pliers, or animals being beaten and abused for circuses, it's incredibly distressing in and of itself, but so often the audience, uh, society is so far and away disconnected to the reality of animals that when they come face to face with what ultimately is, uh, as you, you know, mentioned, you can uh, sort of boil it down to a form of street performance in the sense that it is a protest and a demonstration, they can find it controversial. What we are trying to do again is we're trying to pierce through the noise. We're trying to bring an incredibly uncomfortable, deeply unsettling and truly horrific industry to light. The reality is though, is that at the end of the demonstration, regardless of how much fake blood was used or what props were used or what illusion may have been created, all of those activists have that opportunity to then go home and to be with their families but that doesn't happen on factory farms. It doesn't happen on any farms. Those animals will die a terrifying and bloody death in a slaughterhouse for absolutely no reason when so many wonderful alternatives exist. So when people find the controversy within our demonstrations, oftentimes we are trying to bring these uncomfortable truths to light by reenacting what happens to animals on a daily basis. But we would certainly say that rather than get upset at us, get upset at what we're demonstrating against and take action, not only as individuals by going vegan, um, but whatever the campaign message could be, such as uh, calling on the MOD to remove bearskin fur from Queensguard's caps, or calling for an end to pigeon racing, or for Millennium Hotels to sever their sponsorship of the Iditarod. Ultimately, it's about bringing that message to the public and letting 
the letting our society know what is happening. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting to think about, even if even if you just as as you guys do, it, you you put your you put a human in the position of the animal. So yeah, like you said, um, staging a slaughter of a human or a the pa- packaged human like um, non non human animals are causes shock by the audience, but it's just a retelling of the truth. It's not a fabricated to sort of horror story that's just been made up it's it's reality and that you, uh, the org- you guys are just mirroring that and putting it through a, a human lens in a way so when you talk about audience there is when you're thinking about the audience and campaign is it solely how many members of the public young and old can we engage or is there a specific thought about audience i mean obviously you've got vegans as well watching this demonstration or campaigns is there thought for them in the campaigns as well where when you think about the audience what do you what do you and your team think of so our audience predominantly is the target of our campaign currently some of the things that we're working on is calling on the university of bath and the university of bristol to end the use of the forced swim test um calling on the ministry of defense to stop slaughtering bears in canada for their fur calling on Millennium Hotels to sever their sponsorship of the Iditarod, calling on APTA to take a policy on not promoting captive animals as a form of entertainment, such as severing their ties to SeaWorld. So with that, when we have a demonstration, we will go to places that are important for this. Our ultimate target is whatever the target is of the campaign. We don't really have very much control on who the audience is. Often we will go to very high visible areas. Uh, sometimes the audience themse- themselves are the target. On November 1st, which is World Vegan Day, we went to Piccadilly Square where we set up uh, stencils on the ground and held a banner that said, don't make your plate a crime scene, go vegan, and recreated a crime scene by having bloodied activists lie down in the ground. Now, certainly with that, those who were at Piccadilly Circus had that, had that opportunity to engage with a vegan demonstration and to consider what their actions are doing to animals you know, three times a day, every time that they pick up a fork. Other times when it is a bit more of a concentrated campaign, such as bearskins, uh, it will concentrate on those who we are calling upon. We don't want to have this in a, in a random place where they won't have the opportunity to have it or where that connection just simply isn't there. Again, it's just a, it's a matter of ensuring that we know why we're doing this demonstration in the first place, what we are hoping to accomplish, and why are we doing it there? What's the connection? And so that does have a big influence on what the visual can be if it makes sense for this particular campaign or what we hope to get out of the demonstration itself, as well as ensuring that it's in the right place. For instance, it would not make sense for us to protest bearskins in you know, the cliffs of Dover, or it might as long as we can create a connection to the MOD. Perhaps the MOD is doing something there that's in the news and it's already topical and we can do something to, to try to target them with that message. Ultimately, it's just a matter of ensuring that it makes sense and everything is tied well together. Yeah, in choosing the space, the stage, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like a real, another layer of 
thought, which is a theatrical thought, which is interesting for me. Thinking of stage and thinking of your activist actors, when we're thinking about these quite involved demonstrations, so like you said, like a human being hung upside down like they would in a a slaughterhouse if they were being slaughtered, is there a certain... Well, first off, are these people who are performing a mixture of staff and volunteers or volunteers and how is that process of preparing them for for this demonstration i'm not uh, it's interesting is is it a fact of i'm up for that let's go or is there a, a, a more of a nuanced thinking around it so within our our volunteers sometimes you will find staffers uh other times it'll be members of our action team and other times it'll be volunteers who are based in the area where we are doing demonstration For the most part, our demonstrations are very open to everyone, uh, regardless of what capacity you you do want to take on. Uh, We don't tend to do that many that are that are overly complicated or require an extreme amount of precision. That's not to say that we haven't worked with people like that before. Uh, We have uh, had stilt walkers and demonstrations. Um, we've done other, uh, we've, uh, done other demonstrations that did involve a little bit of a specialty in terms of trying to find someone that sort of had that talent or had that skills that could be able to bring it there. Um, of course, these people are volunteers. They do come, they do work with us on a volunteer basis. Um, and within it, what we do like to do is make it very inviting for everyone, uh, and find where they would feel comfortable within the demonstration thinking about that thinking about success and your own experience leading campaigns can you think of any specific ones personally that you found great reward in or success in and was there something in that in there if it is a performance performative demonstration it might not be it might it might not be but if there is any that come to mind it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on on a, a particularly one that stands out to you certainly so at, on a personal level one of the things that really brought me into uh, activism at the time was two things. One, I was staunchly against hunting, particularly the fox hunting that happens here in the UK, as well as the fur industry. Now, PDUK does not do a tremendous uh, amount for fox hunting. There are so many organizations that are out there that oftentimes what we don't want to do is you don't want to overlap. Uh, so that usually goes to organizations like League Against Cruel Sports. And whenever PETA could fill in the gaps or speak out against it, we certainly do. But one of the early ones for me was going to Canada Goose for our demonstrations. I took part in multiple demonstrations over the years uh, at the London-based store, as well as uh, planned and executed um, demos uh, elsewhere in Europe. And that was always a big one for me. We would, I, I, at various times, I put myself into a coyote mask, this very realistic coyote head and sort of bare, nearly bared all um, to sort of dress as this coyote caught in a leg trap in what was probably maybe zero degree weather in the middle of January uh, to lying down on the floor of, um, you know, a, a long Regent Street right on the concrete with our, our faux Canada Goose jackets, you know, drenched in blood um, and to be there demonstrating. And so for us to put in the effort, to put in the work, it is a worldwide effort um, as an organization to work to ensure that people like Canada Goose stopped wearing fur. And so when you do see 
the news that they're phasing out fur, regardless of whatever reason they've given it. It's such a massive victory, not only on an organizational level, it's an org, it's a, it's a huge victory for the animals that suffer themselves, as well as on a personal level, knowing that you played a part in ensuring that this could happen. I do just want to give like this, this personal story that the other day I was in our offsite storage and I was looking through uh, a lot of the demonstration signs that we had trying to find one for an upcoming uh, protest. And we went, I went through signs that was calling again, you know, important to Mason to ban foie gras or calling on England and Wales to ban wild animal circus performance or, or yeah, calling on Canada goose to phase out fur from their clothing line. And we look past that in you know, the past 10 years and see the massive amounts of victories that are there. And we know that even if it's a slow process that victories can and have been won just uh, the other week, we were planning on doing a demonstration against Farfetch for continuing to use Angora in their clothing. And two days before the demonstration happened, it got canceled because Farfetch decided that they were going to phase Angora out. So to be able to see massive amounts of victories like that, such as uh, Expedia recently banning SeaWorld ticket sales on their sites, it's, it's incredibly motivating and you, you are able to see that this work, our demonstrations, our campaign perspectives and strategies are paying off and having real world victories. Yeah, that's, that's really inspiring. And I can imagine as well, zooming in on that experience of you standing outside Canada Goose in a coyote, with a coyote head, freezing, really cold, just thinking, will this make a difference? Or it's not a grand gesture in the sense it's not, being televised and it's not not thousands of millions of people are watching but knowing that it's a mosaic of this great push by peter and other um, organizations that have created that victory and without those these these moments of visuals and these moments of protest and demonstration it wouldn't have happened so yeah that's really exciting exciting on a personal level but an individual level for me and maybe for you but also as a a movement theory kind of level it would be really interesting to get an insight into your into the process of we've talked about the process in a sense of like a practical sense but on an emotional sense how you approach things going into creating and then executing performative demonstration is there an emotional um, journey there from excitement of the creation the idea and then nervousness of the execution and then relief that it's done is there a that was just an example but is there a journey there for you as a as a campaigns organizer and creator um i would say at this point there's there's never any nervousness around it um regardless of what the content is it's it's quite second nature um, there is absolutely a, a performance aspect of our demonstrations and that that need to go through the creative process to try to understand what's going to be the best and most effective way of conveying this message. So for us, we usually tend to run mainline campaigns, uh, predominantly against organizations or institutions, but oftentimes towards individuals. So on a daily basis, uh, at work and outside of work, those thoughts are always kind of going through your mind. What we always try to find is that hook. What is going on in the world that we have the ability to, to mention uh, whatever our campaign could be? Right now, I'll, I'll use the Bearskins campaign as an example. So we launched this in 2005 
because the queen's guards caps are made of bear fur. It's the result of the slaughter of, of hundreds of bears in Canada every year and exporting that fur to the United Kingdom. As I mentioned a little bit earlier in the interview, the UK thought that the create like the fur production process, fur farming was so incredibly cruel, horrific, and vile that MPs voted to ban the production of fur in this country. Yet they're paying upwards of 1300 pounds per cap to source it halfway across the world. So within that, we, we know what our, our, our campaign is targeted towards. This one, it's targeted towards the MOD. So we've created, we've worked with a company called Ecopel to create the first faux fur bearskin cap that passes all of the MOD's requirements. And the testing took place at the same place where the MOD tests the bearskin caps currently. So with that, we have this understanding of who we're supposed to target which is the government in terms of getting that policy done. So with that, you have multiple avenues. Is it Ben Wallace's birthday? So Ben Wallace uh, is the Secretary of Defense, and he could have the power to instruct the MOD as the Defense Secretary, so Administrator of, um, of Defense, to, to, to see that change. So with that, you know, we could do something like, you know, sending him a birthday cake of a, of a bear skin cap. And of course, with this, we always come up with brainstorming. That's just something that I came up on the spot. But throughout my day on a daily basis, it is something that you try to consider. What creative concept can we do to capture the attention? What can we do that's different than something that we've done before? What's something that we've done in the past that we can rework for this particular uh, ask, for this particular demonstration, for this particular event? It's always about the creative process. It's always a tremendous amount of planning. And it isn't just us as individuals. Often we will come forward and as a group between multiple departments, we will try to brainstorm we have a strong idea, what can we change about it? What can we add on to it or subtract from it to ensure that the final demonstration campaign or the marketing ask or any of those things that we're doing uh, can ensure that it's going to have a large reach. I mean, you've given me so much there. Thank you so much, Simon. Uh, the, the last question is a bit of a broad one and a bit of an ambitious one. What role does performance have in the animal rights movement? And that's framed in the sense of Obviously, Peter, Peter UK and you guys are doing loads. You're obviously harnessing performance quite a lot. Does the movement as a whole need more of it? Or you might say, no, we're doing fine because you guys are doing excellent work with that. What role does performance have in the animal rights movement? Performance has a massive role in animal rights movement. It has a good way of showing the audience a visualization or a connection that they can make on the day or when they read it online or when they read it in the newspaper at a different time. But more than that, I, I would discuss some of the other strategies that PETA does in terms of ensuring that we are able to get this campaign across. So as a, within our campaigns department, we are creating content in the form of our performances, in the form of these demonstrations for the marketing team to discuss on social media, as well as for our press officers to share. But what a lot of people don't realize is that we do come at it from multiple angles. In the 90s, uh, PETA would protest organizations, uh, whether it was you know, at fashion shows or fast food restaurants, 
But now we have an entire corporate team that gets invited to company meetings to participate in them. If we look at McDonald's recent um, unveiling of the McPlant or the KFC's vegan chicken burger, or probably the most popular one being the Greg's vegan sausage roll, that was the work of our corporate team. We have those connections at these companies and work with them to ensure that they're coming out with a really popular vegan product instead of, you know, not to disparage falafel, but, you know, they're not coming out with these falafel sort of sandwiches anymore. They're, they're delivering tremendous vegan alternatives. And this isn't just on a food level. Ever since Canada Goose dropped the use of fur in their coats, our corporate team is working with Canada Goose to, to remove the use of down in their coats as well. By having this corporate strategy with them, we can show them that you don't need to exploit uh, animals to have a profitable business and to ensure that you're still reaching your customers. I'm sure a lot of people are quite aware and familiar with PETA's celebrity work. Some of the biggest celebrities in the world in the 40 years that PETA's been around, regardless of the affiliates, uh, have joined forces with PETA. Having celebrities involved in our campaigns is, in, is another vital aspect to spreading our campaign content message. It allows us to have a new audience in which to discuss these issues with, as well as you know, showing the massive amount of support that we have for this. If we look throughout the years of, of the tremendous celebrities that have joined forces with PETA, it allowed us to reach out to people who might not have been able to hear our content or might not have been connected with us otherwise. We do also do things like uh, letters to the editor. So we have a very dedicated press team here at PDUK as well as every other affiliate does as well in terms of writing responses to pieces that have come out, publishing content and you know, showing off some of the stuff from a celebrity corporate and campaigns perspective. So I think going forward, it is incredibly important to have these performances uh, on the streets to bring demonstrations to whoever we're trying to reach with the message. It allows us to have content. It allows us to continue to maintain pressure. And I do think that other animal groups can certainly take part in that. It's a, it's a strong visual tool, but I do think that our strategy and the strategy that you are seeing an animal rights movement in terms of it's not just a single-sided approach. It's a, it's a huge multi-sided approach at, at trying to target at every level, both as individuals, uh, not both, but as individuals towards organizations and public institutions. I think it's one of the big reasons why we are seeing such a massive vegan push and in this country and in other countries, a massive push to update legislation to reflect the reality of animals. Just this past week, we saw the UK government uh, acknowledge the sentience of crustaceans uh, as well as cephalopods. This could create real world policy that affects how they're being slaughtered. Now, certainly PETA's stance is that no one needs to eat crustaceans to be healthy and that a vegan diet not only reduces and eliminates the suffering of others, but also is healthier for you by at least making these changes in the, uh, at the policy level, we can see real world changes. With, the, uh, with Brexit coming in, the UK is now examining 
banning the sale and importation of fur, banning live exports from the United Kingdom to Europe, as well as banning the importation of foie gras and the sale of foie gras. It's a, it's a culmination of decades of campaigns work, corporate work, celebrity work, uh, that's seeing this real world change. So at this point in time, you know, as a campaigner within PDUK, I don't think that anything really needs to be changed. I think it's a, it's a strong point where we're at now and our strategies are working. Things could evolve in the future, but at this time, pushing veganism and creating such a strong acceptance and understanding of the animal rights movement has had genuine real world victories for individuals, organizations, and governments at the benefit of the animals themselves. Simon, thank you so much. That's a fantastic point to end on. I think it's really great to see, uh, hear about all the work you guys do. And thank you, the listener, for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We've got more to come, so hold on to your hats. If you're enjoying this series or certain episodes, please do leave feedback, reviews, share with friends and colleagues if you think they'd find this series interesting. And in the meantime, thank you and goodbye.